The Old Testament lesson for today is from Numbers chapter 20, verse 2 through 13. This can be found on page 151 of your Pew Bible. When the Israelites find themselves in the desert without water, the Lord instructs Moses about drawing water from a rock. Moses fails to follow the Lord's instructions, and while God provides water for the people, Moses is barred from leading the community into the promised land. A reading from Numbers chapter 20, beginning with the second verse. Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness, that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron and your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring the water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them... He showed himself holy. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. I met a man in prison. His name is Craig. Craig is serving back-to-back life sentences after being convicted of murdering three people in the late 70s and the early 80s. Craig is serving in the New Jersey State Penitentiary. I met him while I was a student in seminary at Princeton, not far up the street from where he's serving behind bars. I was involved in a prison ministry, and I got to know Craig through that. And I got to know Craig because something really wonderful happened once he was behind bars beginning to serve those life sentences. Craig met the Lord. Craig met Jesus. And he experienced the freedom of forgiveness from sin, even the absolute worst kind of sin. 
And it was a real joy for me to watch a part of that journey for Craig as he understood the gospel and how it applies to his life as well. But there was a point in our conversations where it got a little bit awkward because as Craig was experiencing the freedom of forgiveness in Jesus, he began to wonder, does this also mean I should have freedom from this prison? And he asked me to join his cause in trying to get a new trial so he could tell the courts that he's a Christian now. And I found myself having to understand how this works and then even articulate it to him. And what I began to understand was that God's grace is poured out freely even when we sin. But sometimes we have to still live with the consequences of our failures. The eternal consequences of our sin is paid for. Jesus forgives us. When we get to heaven, it's like we will have not done it. But in the temporal consequences, we still have to live with them sometimes. We see this in the Moses story. We continue in our three-year chronological study of the Bible, and we see Moses fail quite spectacularly in today's scripture. God's grace still pours out for him and for the people, but they have to live with the consequences of what they've done. Let's learn about how this worked for Moses and how it might be applied to our own lives as we look at Numbers chapter 20, beginning with the second verse. Now, there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? Now, is this beginning to sound a little familiar? We've been going week after week as we're following the Israelites through the wilderness, and there's this pattern. God blesses them. They run out of the provision. They complain. God blesses them. They run out of the provision. They complain. And I was preparing for this sermon, and I was kind of looking at it going, man, I'm sick of this pattern. I'm just sick of preaching on this. Next week, we're going to have another example of it. And as I was thinking that, I, I thought to myself, I'm sick of it. Imagine how God feels. I have to endure a sermon series where it happens four or five times, but this is what God hears from us all the time throughout history. He blesses us. We run out of the provision. We complain. So here we are, continuing in the story. Let's just maybe take a look at ourselves and how this works even for folks like us. Verse 5, the lament continues. And why have you made us come up out of Egypt? to bring us to this evil place. It's no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates. And there's no water to drink. Now, I want to give us a visual of where we are in the story. Max, if you can show that map. As you probably know, you've been following this series. The people have been freed from their captivity in Egypt. Do you see Egypt up here? See how green and lush and plentiful the land of Egypt was. They've been freed from their captivity to Egypt, and they've been promised a new land, a land flowing with milk and honey. See how green and and plentiful it is there too? So they're going from a place of plenty to a place of plenty, but they're stuck out here in the wilderness. 
where there is no green. There are no pomegranates. There are no figs. There are no vines, as the lament says to Moses. Today's story takes place up here in the wilderness of Zin by Kadesh Barnea. You see this area here? So they've been in the wilderness for a long time, and they're still in the wilderness. They're nostalgic about the past, and they're expecting about the future. It's this amazing wilderness to be in. They're nostalgic about when they were slaves. That's usually what nostalgia does. It glosses over all the bad things of the past. All they can remember are the pomegranates and the vines. And they're expectant of the land of milk and honey that is to come. Nostalgia and expectation. These are two ingredients in a recipe for resentment. And this is where we find ourselves in the middle of this wilderness. And they're lamenting, they're crying out to Moses, their leader. It's amazing how wildernesses or material droughts drive us to these spiritual places. The thing about wildernesses is they they last so much longer than we want them to. We're going to see in just a moment, they're about to be faced with the same exact blessing, but they respond to it totally differently. This late in the pandemic. Did I say pandemic? I meant to say wilderness. (laughs) When you feel like it should be over by now. And yet, here we are. Nostalgic and expectant and embittered. We continue the story in verse 6. That Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting. Do you remember the tent of meeting? It was the tabernacle that we learned about a few weeks ago where God's glory was pleased to dwell. The people brought their gold and their skills, as Laura reminded us of, and they constructed this tent, and God's magnificent, glorious presence was pleased to dwell with his people. So Moses and Aaron, they've just heard the complaints of the people who are thirsty and nostalgic and expectant, and they go to the tent of meeting to meet with God. They went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff. Ah, yes, the staff. The very same staff that Moses held up before the Red Sea and they watched it miraculously part its waters and they walked through on dry ground. Hallelujah. Praise God for your deliverance. God says, take that very same staff now and assemble the congregation, continuing in verse 8. You and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Now, if you're paying attention to our series, you realize there's something very familiar about this as well. This is the second time that the people have run out of water. It's the second time God commands Moses to go to the rock where water would come out. The first time was earlier in the pandemic. I mean, the wilderness. And so they pass that test. They're lacking their provision. They cry out to God. God provides the water. I don't know if they felt anything like I do, but sometimes when I'm in a wilderness, when I'm in a challenging situation, and I sense that there's a test from God and I pass the test, I'm like, okay, wilderness over, right, God? Let's go. Let's move on. And there's more wilderness ahead afterward. And that's where we are in this story. They've run out of water again. And they're wondering, Why isn't this over? So the same story took place earlier, and it's going to have a little bit different reaction from the leadership. 
this time. Let's find out what happens in verse 10. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels! Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. Moses has lost his cool. He's lost his temper. He's at the end of his wits. He totally loses it. I was thinking about this. Moses was thirsty too. He was worn out. Now, when I read scripture, when I read these passages, whether I'm preparing for a sermon or just reading it, I've learned over the years to look for the surprises. Where is there a surprise in the story? And here's the first surprise I see in this story. Moses. Moses has a leadership failure right here. Moses, our great hero of the faith. Are you picturing Charlton Heston right now? This steeled, strong hero of the faith. He never makes any mistakes. He just leads God's people. And that's maybe the Moses we've constructed in our imaginations. But Moses, in this moment at least, totally fails. Now, it might not seem like that big of a deal of what he does. Hey, now you rebels. They were acting rebellious. Maybe he was just speaking a word of truth to them. But we actually get a little bit of color about Moses' reaction here, about his leadership failure. When we read Psalm 106, the Psalms sometimes have these historical accounts of what took place out in the wilderness and other actions of the people of God. Listen to what it says in Psalm 106. They, the people, the congregation, the assembly, angered Moses at the waters of Meribah. And it went ill with Moses on their account, for they made his spirit bitter. And he spoke rashly with his lips. They made his spirit bitter. See, Moses is bitter. Moses is resenting the very people he was called to lead. And he spoke rashly. Here now, you rebels. You want water from this rock? With his lips. Even still, this might not seem like a colossal failure. Are there any leaders in this room who've lost your cool with your people? Who've gotten bitter in your hearts, your spirit? Resented your people and spoken rashly? Sent off a rash email, maybe? We learn even more of what Moses' failure here was. It wasn't just that his spirit was bitter. It wasn't just that he spoke rashly with his lips. God actually tells him in the next verse what Moses' problem under the problem really was. Verse 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. You didn't believe in me. Other translations translate this word, I think, a little bit better. God says, you didn't trust me. You didn't trust me, Moses. I gave you instructions. I told you to speak to the rock. And you spoke to the people instead. God never even told him to strike the rock, if you look at his instructions. You didn't uphold me as holy. You didn't trust my plan to be unfolded in the way that I desired. I read one commentary this week that wondered if Moses was actually mad at God that he wasn't smiting the people. You didn't trust me. That's your 
failure of faith in this moment. I've been wondering about Moses here. I've been wondering what happened between verse 9 and verse 10. Verse 9, he's beholding the glory of God in the tabernacle. Verse 10, he's yelling at his people. I was considering this this week. I was thinking about that staff that Moses held in his hands. This is a shepherd's staff that Pastor Chuck gave to me when I became senior pastor. Isn't it fun to have him here last week? That was great. Someday I'll hand this shepherd's staff to the pastor who will come after me. It's a great privilege. But Moses had this staff, and I've been wondering what happened between when he was considering the staff in the tabernacle and when he was using the staff at the rock. Something happened in his heart. We know he got bitter towards his people. He wasn't trusting God. And I was just kind of playing this out in my mind. This is what I was imagining in my mind. He's in the tabernacle with God. Holy God, glorious God, thank you, God, for your faithfulness. Yes, I will take this staff, the one that led us through the Red Sea, and I will lead your people. And he starts walking over towards that rock. He starts walking over towards those people. And I wonder if he was thinking, man, God is awesome. God is so faithful. I wish those people could remember that. Those people. God is so great, but they're so whiny. Take us out in the wilderness. Wish we died with our brothers. It's all your fault, Moses. You know what they are? They're a bunch of rebels. That's what those people are. Listen up, you rebels, Moses said. You want me to bring you water out of this rock, huh? Is that what you want? All right. And what the people witnessed there in that moment was a total leadership failure. The very symbol of Moses' mantle of leadership, the very symbol of his call to lead God's people, presented to him in the holy tabernacle, was now being used against the people. It was an abuse of power. This is why God was so upset by it. It's a surprise in the text. Moses failed. There's another surprise right after it. Moses has gotten it wrong. He's got the instructions wrong. He's got a bitter spirit. He spoke rashly, but worst of all, he didn't trust God. But there's another surprise. Put up verse 11 again. We didn't read the last part of verse 11. Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out. Abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. This is a surprise because often we think this is how it works. If I fail, God will withhold his blessing. If I succeed, God will reward me. That's usually how we think the formula works with God. I work hard to earn the A. That's how it works in our school. Isn't that how it works spiritually? No, not with the grace of God. Moses and the people have had a failure of faith. Moses loses his cool, strikes the rock twice, and God says, I'm going to bless you in the midst of your failure. 
just like my friend Craig behind bars, who gets to taste the sweetness of God's grace and mercy, though he doesn't deserve it. The forgiveness given to him by the truth of the gospel. Surprise! I'm going to leave this staff here at the altar table. So we're going to come back to it before we go to the communion table, this idea of God's grace pouring out, even in the midst of our failure. Now we could hear this part of the story and we could think, okay, I can fail, I can sin, I cannot trust God and his grace will just keep pouring out, the water will flow. I love that it says the water flowed abundantly. Do you notice that? Sometimes I think if I mess up and I ask God for forgiveness, he ekes it out a little bit, he trickles it out. Okay, I'll give you a little bit of grace. It flows abundantly. Sometimes we can take that idea and we can think, I'll just go ahead and sin then and watch his abundant grace flow. But sometimes we have to live with the consequences. That's what happened with Moses. Let's read verse 12 again. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you didn't believe in me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters at Meribah. Meribah just means quarreling. These are the waters of Meribah where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. Isn't it amazing that Moses didn't get to go to the promised land? Moses never tasted a pomegranate again. Why? Because of this moment. Because of this failure of faith, this leadership failure. If there's anybody here who has sinned and you're experiencing the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the eternal consequences being paid for, praise the Lord, but you might still be living out the consequences of that failure, the consequences of that sin. Here's an invitation in it for all of us. Maybe there's opportunity to repair some of the wrongs that we have done. We're living with those consequences. Moses wasn't able to entirely, but we have those opportunities to pour that grace that's been poured into our own lives onto the lives of the people around us. Now there's two surprises I've mentioned. The first one is that Moses was imperfect. Moses failed. The second surprise is that the water still flowed. The grace was still given. The provision was still abundant. But there's a third surprise in this story. And it's more wonderful than the first two. The third surprise in the story has everything to do with you and me. And we don't learn about it in the story until the New Testament. The Apostle Paul is describing this wilderness wandering that the people have gone through. And he talks about this very story in Numbers chapter 20. In 1 Corinthians 10 verse 3, Paul's describing the scene. And he says, all the people ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And, look at this phrase, the rock was Christ. The rock was Christ. Paul is showing us, you know how God provided his abundant blessing to the people of God? 
and how they failed even to recognize it for what it was. You know how the people of God beat? You know how Moses struck that rock? That's like Jesus, Paul says. And all of us in our failure of faith, our lack of trust in God, we have done to Jesus like Moses did to the rock. All of our sins were there the day Jesus died. And the scripture tells us that they nailed his hands. And they nailed his feet to the cross. And the story tells us that when the soldier struck his side, blood and water flowed. Jesus is our rock. Though we fail, though our sins put him on that cross, his grace is still given. Not in a trickle, but abundantly. Hallelujah. A murderer who still sits behind bars in the New Jersey State Penitentiary will enjoy eternity with us. Because that blood and water flowed, the grace and mercy of God flows abundantly for all of us. I'm going to leave this staff on the altar as we come to the communion table together, remembering what we bring to the equation. And my hope for communion this morning, Pastor Richard's going to lead us at the table. Here's my hope for communion. I'm imagining what it was like for the people of God in the wilderness to drink that water that flowed abundantly. I just wonder what that was like. They were so thirsty. They were so desperate for it. If they didn't have it, they would die. And yet, there it flowed. And I wondered if as they lapped it up and gave it to their kids and their animals, and as they drank it and felt that cold cleansing water come in, I wonder how many of them thought, we don't deserve this. And yet it gave them life. That's my hope for our experience at the communion table right now as we come forward to this table, as we take the elements into our bodies, that we would know like they knew that if we don't have this, we will die eternally. And we don't deserve it. And it is abundant. And it is what cleanses us and gives us life. So let's come to the table and enjoy the bounty of God's grace.